Father, on this good Friday, all we can do is bow our heads and say thank you. Thank you for sending your only begotten Son. It is because of his life and your will that we live. May we live every day for your honor and for your glory. May we breathe every breath for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I'd like to give a shout out to Brother Hector, who is now a supporting subscriber, a team member of Gospel. Thanks, my brother, uh, for being a blessing. We truly are in this together, and I'm very grateful for you, and I pray that God's peace be upon you and your family as I pray for all of our Gospel supporters and listeners. I also gave a shout out to a David Helling, who's a former Marine and brother in Christ, who produced a movie that we're going to see tonight. So I gave him a shout out on Twitter and let him know that we're heading out there this evening to see this movie that was recommended to me by Big John. Big John had messaged and said, you need to see this movie, His Only Son. And then he said, I, I just pray it brings in $100 million. And I guess the movie, according to Big John, was produced with only $250,000. And he says it's really good. So I'm looking forward to seeing this movie, uh, this faith-based movie, and sharing my thoughts concerning this uh, production sometime soon afterwards. Now, if you have followed my podcast for any length of time, you have heard me say that God is on time all the time. Well, today is no different. God is on time all the time. And I say this in light of today being Good Friday, which is the day we should all, with great meditation, prayer, and all reflect upon as we know the familiar verse many of us John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and that's why today is fitting in the fact that God is on time all the time in that we are going to see this movie his only son today concerning Abraham and Isaac that we read about in Genesis 22:2 and he said take now thy son Thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So not only was that accomplished then as a type of what would be accomplished on a mount called Golgotha. So here we see that there is a a, a near fulfillment of prophecy and then the far fulfillment ultimately and spiritually speaking through Jesus Christ a physical representation a typology through Isaac and Abraham and then we would later see this as God the Father that gave his only begotten son and in in completion in completion of this and it's also fitting that today in our scheduled reading that we also see the sacrifice of others, including Stephen, those who gave their life on behalf of the church, knowing that the servant is not greater than the master. Who knows, you or I could be called to do the same, and the only way that we're going to be able to do it is through the faith that we speak of 
and will speak of today. Acts chapter 8, in our reading, verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. In other words, they loved him. And, and Stephen loved them enough to lay down his life for his friends. Now this movie, His Only Son, I find to be on a good start as it also has a caption under the title, His Only Son, that reads, His faith was tested and our hope was born. His faith was tested and our hope was born. Now, that's a great start there, Mr. Director. A great start indeed. Therefore, I believe that today's episode should be fittingly entitled His Only Son, episode number 97 on this Good Friday. Because it's on this Good Friday that there was an evil cross that a righteous Savior had hung from and died so that we could be made good in Him. Truly it is finished. John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. Now it is through this evil cross that a good shepherd hung upon so that we could be made good in Him. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. To Telestai, it is finished. To Telestai is Greek for this phrase, this powerful phrase. Hand of Jesus sign replied on Gab and says, I think to Telestai is my favorite word in history, and I can definitely understand why, brother. But before this understanding is complete, we must understand what is finished. Clearly, this is the redemptive plan concerning our salvation in Jesus Christ when the captives were set free. Clearly, Jesus paid it all. Yet, we know that all prophecy is yet to be fulfilled or completed. We still have a week in the 70 weeks of Daniel to be finished. Uh, Recently, I had mentioned that there are predominantly four views of eschatology. We know that eschatology is a study of the end of days. Uh, these views include dispensational premillennialism, which fueled the likes of the Left Behind series and the Secret Rapture. Then there is the historical premillennialism, which is the oldest of the views and held by many of the church fathers. There's amillennialism, and then there's postmillennialism. Now, I subscribe to the, the most ancient, which is the historical premillennialism, which believes in the future hope of the second coming of Christ in conjunction with the real rapture. Now, this will happen at the second coming of Christ in, in conjunction, like I have just stated, before the wrath of God is poured out on this world, not to be confused with the tribulation, even great tribulation, that the church will experience. Our faith will be tried, fellow Americans. There's no getting around it. It's already beginning uh, to look this way. Now, there is another end-time view, which is so obscure in many ways that it doesn't really get acknowledged among the major end-time 
biblical prophecy end time views, and that is called preterism. Now, this is a view that the, from what I understand, the CEO of Gab, Andrew Torbo, subscribes to. It maybe is the reason why we disagree on some things. Now, this view happens to originate with the Jesuits. And I read in one article where it stated that the Jesuits came up with this idea concerning the end times to combat Protestantism. Maybe we can get a little bit more deeper into that study at a later time. Now, Lauren replied to this on Substack in our discussion thread, and she says, I don't want to speak ill against Torba, but I do recall that he studied at a Jesuit college. Might explain his belief there. There's a lot of deception and false doctrine regarding the end times, trying to take the glory away from Christ. I pray that all the lies are exposed, and, and rightfully so, Lauren. Because the only way that we're going to know the truth is if we ask for the truth and be willing to accept the truth, even if it goes against the grain of our denominational talking points. The question is, where is our loyalty? And God uses these things, I believe, many times to test our loyalty to see whether we're more loyal to man, or whether or not we're going to fear men, men, over God. But yes, in agreement with Lauren, I do recall the same in some sort of bio uh, writing on the internet where Torbo supposedly attended a Jesuit college. So I did immediately uh, come to that same connection as I researched this doctrine called preterism. Preterism. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you this, my Christ friends, I will always stand with the Christ professor to include our brother in Christ, Andrew Torba, even if we do not completely agree on end time matters. Why is this? Because it's then if we make these nonsense divisions that go outside of the unity that's found in Christ that we find ourselves slaying gnats versus the in-our-face camels that are stampeding us and urinating on us every single day here in America. Now, it seems that Torba can agree on this point. I noticed that he had tweeted yesterday. He says on his Twitter, Gabi Read Gab News account, says one single day without Christians infighting and focusing on the literal demons attacking our families, children, and nations challenge and so uh, we definitely can agree on this point he then goes on to describe these demons that i too have been addressing along with many other christians i mean how can we not it's in our face they're stampeding us and defecating on us and some are rolling around in it with smiles on their face he points this out. He says, trans shooter murders Christian kids and now a flood of pro-trans content is inescapable in the media. He talks about some sort of YouTube influencer, a big one, and says that the co-host leaves his wife and is transitioning. He goes on to say the White House makes proclamations celebrating this madness. Multitude Multiple alcohol companies traditionally associated with masculinity embrace this garbage. 
Articles like the one below are popping up multiple times per day. And he's referencing a Fox News article that's entitled Transgender Female Golfer Brianna Gill Wins Women's Tournament in Australia. And then he ends this tweet by stating that spiritual warfare on a scale unseen in human history on the very nature of our core essence as creation. And he rightfully says that God will not be mocked. This is clear. God will not be mocked, my friends. It's only a matter of time before this, all of this mess, this Antichrist mess completely implodes. It's only a matter of time. Anyways, we read today in Isaiah chapter 2 of this morning, and if you're reading along, you will understand quickly why preterism is an obscure eschatology. In Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. There's many things that are spelled out in this chapter, and I encourage you to read it in its entirety. That clearly have yet to be seen. Why is this? Why is this preterism? Why does it refuse to believe uh, these things? Well, first of all, it refuses to believe that there's been a pause between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. A 2,000-year pause, nonetheless. And this view of preterism also fails to see the dual fulfillment in many of the biblical prophecies that include fulfillment as, as a type within the age the prophecy was given. And then there's a future fulfillment, as we see in an article that I read this morning by Got Questions, entitled, What Does It Mean That a Prophecy Has a Double Dual Fulfillment? And it's here that we need to understand this, because this is why preterism does not understand this, this, this gap between the 69th and 70th week. In Isaiah chapter 7, God question says this concerning the virgin birth prophecy. They write, in Isaiah 7, the Aramites and Israelites were seeking to conquer Jerusalem, and King Ahaz of Judah was fearful. The prophet Isaiah approaches King Ahaz and declares that Aram and Israel would not be successful in their conquest, verses 7 through 9. The Lord offers Ahaz the opportunity to receive a sign in verse 10. But Ahaz refuses to put God to the test in verse 11. God responds by giving the sign Ahaz should look for. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste, Isaiah 7.14. So Isaiah referred to a woman, a virgin, when the prophecy was made, who would become pregnant and bear a son. And a few years after that, the prophecy was made, who would become pregnant and bear a son. And a few years after that, Israel and Aram would be destroyed. That was the near fulfillment. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Matthew connects the virgin birth of Jesus, Matthew 1.23, with a prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. Jesus' virgin birth is the far fulfillment, fuller and more complete. Isaiah 7.14 is therefore a double fulfillment prophecy. It refers to the situation King Ahaz was facing, but also to the coming Messiah who would be the ultimate deliverer. And this is the same 
pattern that we see with the 69th and the 70th week. In essence, waiting for the 70th week to be fulfilled in its spiritual essence with the, set, with the second coming of Christ and the things that we've talked about with historical premillennialism, which is the eschatology I subscribe to. Now, if preterism was applied to Isaiah chapter 7, there would be no future fulfillment of the virgin birth. And there would have been, Mary would not have had Jesus, virgin born. Now, it's in this virgin birth prophecy that we see a physical and spiritual fulfillment, which is important when understanding physical Israel and spiritual Israel. And this is why we keep seeing this over and over and over in Scripture. The types and the anti-types, the near fulfillment, the far fulfillment, that which is physical versus that which is spiritual. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, he was a man of Israel physically, but he was also a man of the Israel of God spiritually. Now he addressed his brethren and he, he spoke truth to authority. In verse 51 through 52, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which shone before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. And here again we see a near fulfillment of old concerning the persecution of the prophets that would foreshadow the persecution of Jesus Christ and all of the church to follow. Isaiah chapter 1, we see that Isaiah too was a man of Israel, a man of the Israel of God, both physically and spiritually. He too also addressed his brethren and he spoke truth to authority. Verse 2 through 4, Isaiah chapter 1, Hear, O heavens, and give air, O earth. For the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner and his ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. And it's here that we see that both Stephen and Isaiah were filled with the Holy Spirit spoke the word of God, and they did so without regard of their own lives. Why? Because they were of the remnant, a small remnant that was empowered by the Holy Ghost. Isaiah 1.9, except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah, they feared not for their lives unto the death. And this is why we read of a future fulfillment of this spirit in the book of Revelation. Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Why did they not love their lives unto the death? Because they had a blessed hope, which was not of this world. X 7. 55 through 60, but 60, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing 
on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon them with one accord and cast them out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen feared God over man. And while we read in Acts 5.11, in great fear came upon all the church, upon as many as heard these things. Why? Because Stephen was a member of the church. Then some, some ask in some debate, when did the church begin? I'll tell you when it began. It began at the first breath of faith. That's when the church began. All the way back in the Old Testament, the very first breath of faith, beginning with Adam and Eve. Acts 7.38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. And this is why we see and read about a church in the wilderness as the book of Acts refers back to the Old Testament. Now it's the same, the same wilderness that the church, the remnant, the Israel of God it's the same church that you will find offering oblations that we read about in Leviticus 7.38, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblations unto the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And these oblations are offerings given to the Lord. These are offerings unto the Lord out of a genuine love for him and his work. I saw a tweet that quoted a saint of old by the name of Leonard Ravenhill who said, God cannot be explained, he can be experienced. And I agree with this statement in many ways because this experience is called faith. This is the same faith that is inspired to offer these oblations with a willing heart, with a cheerful heart. This has been done throughout history within the church of old and in the church of today. Now, we don't know all who is destined to be members of the church, and that is the body of Christ. But I will tell you this, that this church is often found in the wilderness. And it's in this, in this wilderness that God finds us and we do not find him. He knows all who is going to be saved. And all I know is this, as we read the book of Acts in chapter 8 and verse 3, we, we see of a man named Saul, a man who made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them into prison, and also consenting to Stephen's death. No doubt there were many who thought that Saul was spiritually hopeless, but I'm here to tell you, my friend, there is hope for the hopeless. And this is why that you and I pray for our enemies. We're commanded to pray for our enemies. Many thought that the spiritual future of this Jewish man by the name of Saul was doomed. While there were others, no doubt, that prayed for him obediently. Why? Because they took prayer seriously. It seems some of these same people took the preaching of the word of God seriously as well, and so do I. Verse 4, Acts chapter 8, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere preaching the word 
spreading the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what they preached. Jesus Christ. In the same chapter 8 of the book of Acts, Philip went to a demon-possessed city even. And when he cried out, Jesus, the unclean spirits cried out too. In verse 7, for unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and they were lame were healed. And in this same chapter, we read about another man by the name of Simon. And I think that we're dealing with many Simons today here in America in that they want to preach the name of Jesus, but not because they care about our demon-possessed land, but so that they can bank on it. Bringing us to commercial Christianity in verse 9 through 11, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. (laughs) Where have we heard this before? Giving out that himself was some great one. Do you think Simon would have made an NFT, a superhero card of himself in that day? Verse 10, To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. What did Simon do? Simon ended up envying the work, the Christ work of others, those who were filled with the Holy Ghost. There's no need to end. There's plenty of the Holy Ghost to go around, my friends. There's no need to envy the work that God has called me to do. Focus on what God has called you to do, which may look very little like what I'm called to do. In verse 18 through 20, and when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. So unless Simon repented, should he have even been baptized? I say he shouldn't have. Because we read about the biblical condition of water baptism in this same chapter. Same chapter. And there is a condition. Verse 36 through 37. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, I doubt that very few ought to be baptized in America even today until they can progress without shame and move past the sorcerer motives unto true belief. True belief that Jesus is the Son of God, even unto death. Even unto death. Some may say, well, what is the great stumbling block to this faith? that is finished by his only son. I'm glad you asked because we also read about this in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures, but their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made and we've seen this also elsewhere in scripture now here's the good news 
The good news is found in our escape from all of this madness, all of this idolatry. And that place is the rock in verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. That is the good news, my friend. Because it's here that we find the supremacy of Christ. Not the supremacy of Simon the Sorcerer, not the supremacy of Andrew, not the supremacy of Peter, and not the supremacy of you. In verse 11, in verse 11 the lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. We have yet to see this day, but it's coming, my friends. It's coming. Twice this is repeated in the same chapter, verse 17. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Alone. No idols. That's why we read in verse 18, And the idols he shall utterly abolish. He shall utterly abolish. And until then, it's upon you and I to see that these idols in our lives are abolished. And it is. If you have put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have believed with all of your heart that he is the son of God, it is then that we find that it's spiritually finished. Where Jesus of Christ alone becomes our supremacy with all of the idols destroyed in our lives. And soon, my friends, this will be accomplished physically upon this earth when his only son returns. I'll close with reading from Psalm 96 and 97. Psalm 96, 4 through 5, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Psalm 97, 9 through 12, For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth, for thou art exalted far above all gods, you that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the soul of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Give thanks, my friends. Give thanks for his only son. I pray that this episode of Gospel was a blessing to you. And if you would like to become a team member of this Christ work, simply pray. Pray that God would use this podcast mightily for his glory. Share the episodes wherever you can and support with a subscription if you're able to do so. We are in this together, Christ friends. Keep up the good fight.